Paul has been gripped by the grace of God, and that grip of grace has changed his life. When Jesus made Paul his own, it changed both the way that Paul lived as well as what Paul lived for. And what was true of the Apostle Paul should be true for each one of us who have been saved by God's grace. The grip of grace will change the way that we live and what we live for. So in this passage that we've been looking at now for a couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul reveals the reason, the motivation, the effort behind what he willingly, gladly, and joyfully expends great effort and invest his life in pursuit of. And what he pursues, the goal, the prize, is a goal or a prize that all of us as believers share. You say, well, what is the prize? Well, the ultimate prize is to become like Christ. Listen, the ultimate goal of your salvation is not just to make it to heaven. No, 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 no. If that's your goal... That's the wrong goal. The goal is to be like Christ. The prize is to become like Christ. So the question then becomes, how can you and I, like the Apostle Paul, press on to make this our own? How can you and I achieve the goal? How can you and I pursue the prize? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I uh, introduced a little acrostic. Fame, F-A-M-E, and that's kind of what we're following to help us remember what the Apostle Paul outlines here in the text. F was for forgetfulness, and we're also going to add to that this morning, focus. A is what we looked at two weeks ago, which was take an adequate, honest assessment or acknowledge where you're at spiritually. M, of course, would be for motivation, then E would be for the effort that is required. So let's start again by looking at verse 12. The apostle writes, Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So what the apostle Paul is doing here is he begins by assuring the believers in Philippi that uh, he is not asking them to do something that he himself is not doing. He says to them, I haven't obtained the prize, I'm not perfect, but I am pressing on in order to make the prize my own. And as Paul says to them, I don't claim to have arrived. He readily confesses that, and really when you think about it, this is remarkable, when you, when you think about it, this is the Apostle Paul. He, he readily confesses to them, there's still change and growth and effort that needs to take place on my part in order to reach the prize. So when he looked at his life, he recognized that he was by the grace of God and the power of God through the Spirit of God making progress in sanctification. In other words, he was making progress in becoming like Christ, but he was honest with himself 
And he knew that there was much more growth that needed to take place, that there was more progress to be had. There was still effort and energy and focus that was going to be required if he was going to achieve the prize if he were to reach the goal. So Paul acknowledges that God is still at work in him. He acknowledges that he's still a work in progress, in, in process. You know, when I think about this, you know, it's kind of refreshing because so many of us today, we don't want to admit any kind of weakness, do we? We want to present the picture like we've got it all together, that uh, we ha- are well on our way and we really don't need much more help or we don't have much room for growth. Well, here's the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian in the history of the world, perhaps the greatest Christian has ever lived. And here he is saying, look, I've not yet arrived. I've got a lot more room for growth. I can be uh, a, a, a lot better in becoming like Christ than I am. So Paul is brutally honest with himself, and he's brutally honest with us. And how much help would it be to our brothers and sisters in Christ if we would admit that, hey, we've not arrived, that we have room for growth, that we're not perfect, and that we struggle in many areas? How much better off would we be, and how much more help could we be? So the first part of verse 12 is Paul's acknowledgement or his assessment of his current condition. So that would be the letter A in our acrostic. Second would be the motivation. Motivation. We're following the outline of the text now. So the second part of verse 12 is Paul's motivation. Now notice what he says, but I press on to make it my own. Why, Paul? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, Paul's assessment of his current spiritual condition has left him dissatisfied. But he used his dissatisfaction as motivation. He did not, but let me tell you what he didn't do. He did not let his dissatisfaction paralyze him. It's so easy for us to honestly assess our spiritual condition, and in our eyes, and perhaps there's some element of truth to it, we just haven't made very much progress. We're just not satisfied with where we are at. And if we're not careful, we will just kind of throw up our hands and say, well, what's, what's the point? I've put forth all this effort, and look, I've still got such a way to go. Well, you can either let your dissatisfaction paralyze you, and many do, or you can be like Paul and do the right thing and look at yourself and say, I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but by the grace of God, I will be someday what he saved me to be. Therefore, I'm motivated to keep moving forward. Paul understood that sanctification takes place according to God's timeline. You get that? God moves at his own speed. God moves at his own pace. And our sanctification goes, is accomplished at the pace that God has for us. Now, let me say, there's a caveat here. What I mean by that is, if you are using all the resources that God has made available to you, 
The means of growth that we looked at last week, such as consistently reading the Scriptures, a consistent prayer life, memorization of the Scriptures, meditation on the Scriptures. If you're consistently applying those things and you, you're using the tools and the resources that God has given you on a consistent basis, if you're being obedient to what He has shown you to do, you're growing. Now, that rate of growth may not be what you would like it to be, and it may not be what I would like it to be. But you know what? It's exactly the rate of growth that God wants it to be. I say that for this reason. We need to give grace both to ourselves and others in this area of sanctification. Not everybody is going to be super saint overnight. Very few will be super saint overnight. But if you are doing the things that God asks you to do, you're using the tools and the resources, I say this with a pastor's heart, give yourself a break. Don't quit. Don't let up. But don't beat yourself up if you're not as far along as you would like to be. Just continue to put to use the resources that God has given to you. So I think that Paul was understanding of this. Even though he wasn't satisfied, he understood that sanctification was a lifelong pursuit. He understood, understood that it was a pursuit that would only be realized when he received the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, why didn't Paul let his dissatisfaction discourage him? Well, again, it goes back, I believe he knew that he was living in obedience. He knew that he was using the resources that God had provided to make him like Christ. And again, while at the same time he understood that God works in his own timing, God works at his own speed. Again, let me say this. If you look around, if you look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm not what I want to be. I know I'm not what I'm going to be. But I am using the means of growth that God has provided for me to become like Christ. Let that be a source of encouragement to you. Be content in the knowledge that God is bringing you along according to his perfect timing. But the flip side is, be honest with yourself. If you're not growing, you need to ask yourself, why am I not growing? Could it be? There's two possibilities. One, you're not growing because there's no spiritual life. You've never been born again. You've never been born from above. The second possibility could be you're just not being obedient to consistently using the means of growth that God has provided, reading the Scriptures, prayer, memorization, meditation, fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and those types of things. But having said that, Paul's dissatisfaction was not his primary motivation what was it that motivated him to press on? What was it that motivated him to spend his life in pursuit of this goal? What was it that drove Paul to lay hold of Christ? Well, it was the fact that Paul had first been laid hold of by Jesus. Paul says, I press on, I pursue this with all my might because Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, because he has been saved, he is going to pursue the one who saved him. And what was the reason that, Paul, that Jesus laid hold of Paul? 
to conform him to his own image. Remember Romans 8, 29? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what Paul is doing here is he's responding to the work of Christ in his life. Paul has been seized by Jesus, and in return, Paul is willing to do whatever is necessary for him to seize Jesus Christ. Dennis Johnson writes, Paul's point is that he is striving to seize the prize at the finish line because Christ has already seized him at the start of the race. You just ought to write down somewhere guaranteed victory. When you become discouraged, become dissatisfied, go back and remember, listen, because you were seized at the starting gate, you are guaranteed victory. And really, when you think about that, that should be such a tremendous encouragement to each one of us. If you are in Christ, you have been seized by Christ. You have been laid hold of by Jesus. That has to be incredibly encouraging good news for us. You have been the beneficiary of the kindness of Jesus. You have been the, the recipient of the love of Jesus. Not only have you been made in the image of God, you are now being remade into the image of the Son of God. And when Paul understood what had happened to him, He responded by setting his mind on a goal, a focus on a specific goal, a very specific prize. He knew what the prize was. He knew what the goal was. He knew what the ultimate outcome of his salvation was to be. And it was this knowledge that motivated him to expend whatever effort was necessary in order for him to go for the gold, if you will. He devoted his life to pursuing the prize. The prize is that upward call of God in Christ Jesus when he would see Christ face to face. At that point, he knew that he would finally realize the reason that Jesus Christ laid hold of him on that road to Damascus. He would finally be conformed to the image of Christ. And I had to ask myself, and so I'll ask you, how much time do you spend thinking about that prize How much time do you you and I spend thinking about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Do you spend more time thinking about retirement or career aspirations or your next vacation? Do you spend more time on things like that than you do think about spending and you spend time thinking about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Whatever you think about the most is where you're placing your energy and your affection. So Paul assessed his spiritual condition, and he was motivated by the goal that God had saved him to achieve. But Paul understood that in order to achieve the goal would require effort, effort. And the picture that Paul paints for us here, the picture that Paul uses here is the analogy of a, of, a, of a runner in a race, and it's a competitive runner. It's a competitive race. It's not like, you know, of course, we haven't been ha- able to have these things in the past year or so, but, you know, uh, you, you may go on a 5K run for uh, cancer awareness or diabetes or whatever the case may be, and, you know, uh, you just kind of have casual runners that run in that to, to raise some, some money. And that's all well and good, and I commend you for that. But that's not the kind of runner that Paul has in mind here. Paul has in mind here one who is out to run a race in order to win the race and to claim the prize. Now, you'll notice twice in this passage, I believe in verses 12 and 14, 
twice Paul uses the phrase press on. And that phrase press on speaks of aggressive, energetic effort. There's nothing passive about this. The race that Paul has in mind, there's nothing casual about it. It's a competitive race where the goal was to win the prize. The Olympics are coming up if things work out and the track and field will take place. We'll have all kinds of races. And what are they racing for? They're racing for the goal. They want that gold medal. And what Paul's talking about here is a mindset that says, if you're second, you're simply the first loser. It's a mindset that says, I'm in it to win it. It's a mindset that is totally focused on achieving victory. And that's what Paul's describing here. He's telling us, listen, this is the kind of mindset that you have to have in order to achieve victory. He describes a mindset in which he's willing to go to whatever lengths are necessary, to expend whatever effort is necessary in order to claim the prize. We think of an Olympic athlete today. They, many of them spend the vast majority, the bulk of their lives, all training for this one moment in time. They watch their diet. They work out, and they take the hopefully legal uh, kind of, uh, what do they call those things? Uh, not stimulants. I can't think of the word. Well, not steroids. No, that's, I don't think they're legal for too much. But anyway, you know, the things that build your body up, you, know, you can tell I'm supplements. supplements. Thank you very much. <laughs> tell I'm not an athlete. Uh, so they take all of those kinds of things. Why? Because they're so focused on winning the prize. They're willing to do anything in order to win the prize. And that's the kind of mindset that the Apostle Paul has in mind here. Paul was willing to do as the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, when I think about his admonition there to lay aside every weight, I take that as a call to examine my life as a Christian and to see if there are things, if there are activities, if, there are, if there's uh, mindsets or attitudes that are keeping me from efficiently and effectively, effectively running the race. I don't necessarily think that he has sin, some particular sin in mind here. But the, those things that may not be sinful for us as Christians, but at the same time, they're not really helping us run the race. You know, again, you think about an Olympic runner or, or Olympic uh, swimmer. You know, they will do everything that they can in order to shave off time. They have, they have the special suits and all that kind of nonsense. You know what, you know what I've never seen uh, too many Olympic runners or swimmers have? A Flavo Flav uh, uh, a gold chain around their neck. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I know Flavo Flav. <laughs> now, why don't they have something like that around their neck? It would hold them back. Gold chains are not sinful if that's your thing. But they know that if they put that thing around their neck, it's going to cost them time. They're out to win the race. And so, therefore, they lay, they lay that aside. And I believe there are things that you and I as Christians, there are things that are not necessarily sinful, but they're not helping us win the race. And so we need to be willing to lay those kinds of things aside so that we are not slowed down by them. And the wise Christian will frequently undergo 
a self-assessment to see if there's anything that is hindering their race and reaching the prize. You know, Paul knew nothing of this let go and let God mentality. Paul was not passive at all in his approach to pursuing the prize. He was actively, aggressively pursuing the prize. In fact, Paul was the one who wrote 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may what? Obtain it. Hey, whatever it takes to win it, do whatever it takes. Now notice here, too, that the text says that Paul didn't simply say that he just kind of went on. It says that he pressed on. See, I'm afraid a lot of Christians think of the Christian life as they're out for a leisurely Sunday afternoon stroll. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul says, I press on. Now, why did Paul say that he pressed on? Let's think about the, let's think about the implications here. Doesn't pressing on imply some kind of resistance? Just to press on. Why? Because something's pressing back. So he presses on. So well, where does this resistance come from? Well, for starters, your own flesh will resist you every step of the way. You know you should read your Bible. Your flesh will say, ah, do that later. You, you need to catch up on the latest streaming episode of whatever. The law of indwelling sin will provide resistance for you. It continually pushes back on you. The culture that we live in will provide great, tremendous resistance. You think about the weight that the writer of Hebrews described. It will resist you as you attempt to make progress in sanctification in becoming like Christ. And let me say this, this, I don't mean this to encourage you, but just to forewarn you, the closer you get to the prize, the greater the resistance you will face. It's kind of like going to the gym, you know, and you, you do your three sets and you get to the last set. Which, guess which is the hardest? That last one. Why? That's where the greatest reward comes from. So the closer that you and I get to the prize, the greater the resistance. We need to understand that and be forewarned about that. So Paul properly assessed his current spiritual condition. He was properly motivated. He applied the appropriate effort, and then he rightly forgot the past. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, Paul says, I don't claim to have arrived, but I do claim to do one thing, I'm forgetting what lies behind. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I forget the past so I can press on to the future. Here's a couple of words or a word you ought to write down. Paul is living with intention. He's living with great intention. He intentionally forgets the past. Forgetting is a present tense verb, which means he is actively, intentionally forgetting the past. Paul is just like the rest of us. He has plenty of things in his past that if he let them, they would have crippled his future. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad your past is. It may measure up the Apostle Paul's, but I doubt it. 
But Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. He intentionally forgot the past. And if we do not forget the past, we run the danger of letting them cripple both the present and the future. Now keep in mind, what's Paul just done here in the text? He's listed all of his human accomplishments. He's listed his human pedigree. And guess what? That's part of what he's forgetting. He's not calling on that to help him move forward. So I'm forgetting that. He's already told us that he's counted them as lost for the sake of Christ. As one commentator observes, Paul did not keep turning over in his mind the good old days of active service before he was imprisoned. He did not constantly remind himself of all his achievements, nor continually recount those special high points of his intimate relationship with Christ. He is not distracted by the trophies of the past. Forgetting is not a passive loss of memory. No, it is an active, now get this, it is an active, continuous discipline of the mind and heart. Although he did not actually forget the past, he emphatically chose to disregard it. So he's forgetting the memory of standing by and holding the coats of those who killed Stephen. That's what he's forgetting. But he's also forgetting his achievements, both before Christ and in Christ. He's forgetting all of those things. He's forgetting the persecution that he brought upon the church. He's forgetting how, how the persecution that he brought on the church destroyed and devastated so many lives. He's forgetting those things. MacArthur writes, Paul made a break with everything in his past, both good and bad. Religious achievements, virtuous deeds, great successes in ministry, as well as sins, missed opportunities, and disasters must all be forgotten. They do not control the present or the future. Did you hear that? They do not control the present or the future. Why? Because they're in the past. The past is past. Believers cannot live on past victories. Hello? Believers cannot live on past victories, nor should they be debilitated by the guilt of past sins. You think about it. The memories that Paul had... The past that he had, they could have paralyzed him. They could have completely shut him down and prevented him from reaching for the prize. James Montgomery Boyce says, What is the nature of this forgetting then? It is the kind of forgetting that occurs when we cease to let things that are in the past overshadow the present. That lets the past be past, both the good and the bad, and that constantly looks forward to the work that God still has for us. Remember I talked about this resistance that we all encounter? The resistance that Paul encountered? Do you think it is entirely possible that part of that resistance was Paul's past? That kept pushing back on him? That kept coming to the front of his mind? Resisting him, saying, how can you speak for God? Look what you did. He said, I forget that. He determined that nothing was going to keep him from the goal. Nothing. Now notice what he says in the last part. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Again, he's using the analogy of a runner who's literally straining every muscle to reach the finish line. It's the picture of a 
runner who's focused on the prize. He's not looking to the left. He's not looking to the right. He's certainly not looking behind him. His eyes are fixed on the finish line. He's not going to let anyone or anything distract him. But in order to focus on the prize, on the finish line, you must forget the past. If you don't, if you keep looking over your shoulder, if you keep looking backwards, guess what? You're not going to be able to focus on the finish line. You know, a runner who looks behind them or looks to the left or to the right, they take their eyes off the finish line, uh, they're probably going to lose the race. We've probably all experienced this. Have you been driving along and you get a little bit distracted? Maybe you look down or you look to your left or you look to your right, and what happens? You're suddenly you're in the other lane. You're drifting towards the ditch. Why? What happened? You've become distracted. You, you took your eye off the road. And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't get distracted. Strain forward to what lies ahead. So as Christians, we are to strain forward. We are to maintain our focus on the prize. Paul was not going to settle for anything less than the prize, and neither should we. So what is the prize? Well, the Bible describes the prize in a couple of different ways. Let me give you perhaps the best description. Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. Now notice this is at the very end of the book. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. But it doesn't stop there. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Whose face? The face of Christ, the face of Jesus. Was that, that's that, what's that old song? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day. That will be. That's what Paul's focused on. He wants to see Jesus Christ, his Lord. That's what drives him. That's what motivated him. That's why Paul was willing to expend whatever energy was necessary in order to reach the prize. He wanted to see the face of Christ. Do you and I? Does that drive us? Does that motivate us? Are we willing to put forth whatever energy energy and effort is necessary? Are we willing to lay aside every other thing that keeps us from achieving the prize? I want to close this morning by giving you three applications from Charles Spurgeon. I just think these are tremendous. Um, here they are. I'm just going to read them word for word. He said, these are three lessons of Christ's apprehension. First, the first lesson of Philippians 3.12 is this. Make sure of your apprehension by Christ Jesus so that you can talk like Paul about it, that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Pray the Lord that you may feel his hand on your shoulder, that you may feel his grace in your heart, his blessed, his blessed fetters on your feet, his divine manacles upon your wrist. Pray that you have no doubt about it, but you may know for sure that the Lord has arrested you. That's the first application. Have you been born again? Second, this being known, do not let it make you idle. Do not say, Christ has arrested me. 
I am saved. Nothing more is needed. No. For what has he arrested you? He has a purpose in it. That arrestment was but the beginning of a great life work. Let it not make you idle, but let it be your encouragement. If Christ has arrested you to be holy, he will make you holy. If Christ has arrested you for usefulness, be confident in seeking it. If Christ has arrested you to make an eternal monument of his grace, believe that you will be and press forward to the mark for the prize of your high calling. Thirdly, let this lead to your hope for the salvation of others. Go forward, hopefully, in your service for others. I love this. Teach that Sunday school class with a firm belief that you were apprehended on purpose, that John and Tom might be converted. Go and teach the girls and say, I was apprehended to bring Mary and Jane and Louisa to Christ, and do not be at all doubtful about it. This is the purpose of God. Expect it to be wrought out. Go to your street corner and preach away still, even when the mob disturbs you. Go from door to door with your tracks, even though they may be cast in your face. Go each one of you to the work for which God has apprehended you. For as the Lord has apprehended you, it is for a purpose. Do not rest until that purpose is fully served. I love that. No idleness. No passivity. Not waiting to see what might happen. No. Going for it. David Livingston, perhaps you've read his story. I think it was one of the first biographies ever read was his. He was a Scottish doctor, an explorer. Uh, but I think of him more as a missionary. He spent years in Africa. And when he returned home, someone asked him, Well, Dr. Livingston, where are you ready to go now? He said, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. Isn't that great? I got this song running through my mind. Some of you will know it. John will. Boston, don't look back. Don't look back. New day's dawning. Don't look back. Believer, don't look back. Forgetting those things which are behind. Press on. Strain forward. I believe that we as a church can change this neighborhood. But not by sitting back and wishing it. Not even just by praying about it but by doing something about it. May the attitude of Livingston be ours. I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. How can we make the prize our own? Forget the past, focus on the future. Acknowledge and assess your current spiritual condition. Be, motiva be motivated by the prize of knowing Christ and expend the necessary effort in order to reach the prize.